You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, the boys invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I am Uncle Daddy, Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife, James Hardigan. Joe, I'm going to repeat the question that I asked you on social media. How? How are you still alive? That question was a lot more relevant uh, a couple of days ago. I have had a couple of, uh, I'll just say, a little bit of time in a bed, uh, which I had not had when you asked me that question. I am coming to you from Montenegro. Montenegro is a country. I have no idea what city I'm in. (laughs) I have no, I barely even know where I am. My life is so weird. It's our Monte Carlo recap show from Montenegro. All we need is someone from Montevideo to listen to this broadcast, and we'll have the Monte trifecta. Yes, James, I was so fucking tired by the time I got here. I was trying to explain to everyone that Joe left the building at like four in the morning and was back on air at three o'clock the following afternoon. But it wasn't just like Joe had to go to Montenegro for like one day. They're doing like 11 or 12 consecutive days. Yeah, I think I'm doing, I I started on a Sunday and I leave on a Thursday. So that is one week, Sunday to Sunday, and then a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, that's like 11 days of uh, of streaming I'll be doing when uh, all is said and done, plus the four previous. So we're talking about 15 days in a row. Yes, anyway, it all started at EPT Monte Carlo. It happened. It happened for a long time. (laughs) I mean, we only broadcast for four days, although technically I think it was probably more like five or six. Uh, We will be recapping all the stuff you didn't get to hear on the live stream on today's show and some of the stuff you did get to hear and see on the live stream, um, including some of the most ridiculous slash entertaining poker I have ever seen, uh, especially the start to um, forgive me. My memory is typically bad. Day four, right? Yeah, I thought I was going to say day day four as a online qualifier. Evie Widvey uh, went on a one woman killing spree. Uh, you guys know what happened. But anyway, I want to give it away all right now. If you don't know, we will be talking to her later on in the show. I'm really excited to talk to her. I, I think it's great that we get such a great mix of uh, big names and regular people on the show. I think she's got an interesting story and I can't wait to hear it. Uh, and also, as far as uh, uh, unknowns are concerned, this week's super fan is uh, Stefan Neskakis from Germany. Uh, he is going to probably kick my ass in trivia about the Breakfast Club. Uh, more thoughts on the Breakfast Club later on when we get to that segment. Um, you want to you do a little movie and TV talk to kick things off as, as we are wont to do, James? Um, have you watched anything? Have you had time to watch anything? I, I managed to watch Game of Thrones. That's it. I um Are you telling I, me you haven't seen the most important video, which is Jungle Man's bizarre Oh Yes, I saw that four minute pseudo porn film where he plays poker with like cheap chips from Argos and then seduces some girl who takes her pants off. I saw it. I thought it was hilarious. Um, I just don't get it. I'm it just left me utterly confused. It why? reminded me in a weird way of that video that Randy Lou made a few years back with the guy from Game of Thrones in Iceland. It's like, what is this about? Wait, Why am I watching this? Wait, there's a Randy this? Lou video? Do you remember the one with Randy where he gets kidnapped by the guys in Iceland and Sir Gregor Clegane rescues him from a cave? No. 
find it on YouTube. Just search. Oh my God, are you serious? Search Randy Lou Iceland in YouTube and it will come up. But- I am doing uh, commentary with Randy all week this week. I can't wait to bring that up the next time the Jungle Man video comes up. Yeah, the Jungle Man video, I looked at and I was like, oh, people are not going to like this. This is 2019. This is not going to go over well. Surprisingly, he's caught less uh, sexism guff for it than I expected him to. Of course, there was some, but I was expecting there to be more. I'm glad that people are just able to look at it and kind of shrug their shoulders and go, whatever, dude. As I Um, said, I do believe the reason why most people are just letting it wash over them is they're just utterly baffled by how and why this video has been made. Yeah, and so what, what I find to be funniest about this is that for the people out there who really sort of still look at poker as this mysterious sort of cool thing and i'm not saying poker isn't cool but it's not the sort of like noir cool thing that people think it is not played in basements at eyes wide shut style parties with half naked women with with the people who don't know that look at this video and think oh man like dan cates is a baller and he has so much swag like i saw a lot of people talk about how much swag dan cates had Dan Cates is one of the most awkward human beings I've ever been around in my entire life. He does not have swag. He's not a guy <laughs> but that like... That's what makes this video so funny, is it's so incongruous to have Dan Cates in this video. Yes, I know. And look, he he plays the part in the video very well. Whoever did it did a great job of making this party look very cool, making this look like something aspirational. I don't think that's necessarily a terrible thing for poker. Do I want to weigh in good for poker, bad for poker on this? Not necessarily. I'll say this. I didn't hate it. I thought it was kind of silly, but I I also think that things that get people talking, unless they're completely hateful, are good for poker. So there, I guess I said like somewhat net positive. Um, I did not watch anything besides that and Game of Thrones, however, James, I, I downloaded. I got a VPN so I could watch my HBO Go account. I'm not sure it was worth it because I think a lot of people have come to the conclusion that Game of Thrones has really lost the plot, both literally and figuratively. Well, you saw my tweet, and I ended up deleting it partially because I, you know I don't really tweet negative things about entertainment stuff anymore because it's hard making things is hard. Making things good is even harder. Endings are the hardest of all, right? It is really hard. Think about how many movies you've loved and thought were great and the ending was meh. Or TV shows you've watched and the ending sucked or was meh. And so I I cut them a little slack for that. There were a few things in this episode, though, that I thought were unforgivable. I think the main issue here is not necessarily how the various narratives are. Oh, by the way, spoilers. There there are going to be spoilers in this section. Okay. Spoiler number one. Khaleesi goes to Starbucks. Spoiler number two, (laughs) I do not have an issue with the way that storylines are playing out. I don't have an issue with the way that certain characters' story arcs are are shifting. Totally It's the pace that I have such an issue with. It's like, why are we hurtling at 125 miles an hour towards the conclusion when this show became renowned for taking its time, for building, 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 and for people to get from A to B would sometimes take multiple seasons and now people are like teleporting from north of the wall to King's Landing 
in half an episode. That's my major issue. And I wonder, is it because at the start, they had the books to work from? They had all of the color. They had all of the characterization. And we know that what they had for the later seasons was an outline, a treatment from George R.R. Yeah. R. Martin about how it was going to play out. But they no longer have the flesh on the bones. And they're no longer in a position to draw things out and to have all those side plots and all that characterization that really made those early seasons as good as they were. Yeah, I don't, I actually don't have a problem with the teleporting. I don't have a problem with, uh, you know, I, I said yesterday online that this is like, you know, when your, your dad tells you a bedtime story and he tells you this really robust story and all of a sudden he realizes it's midnight and he's like, ah, and then the princess was saved and everything. Yeah, You're yeah. like, what the fuck? Um, I don't have a problem with the teleporting. I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't have a problem with where the characters are going and the shifts that they're making. But I and I also agree that it's happening so quickly that why not just leave them where they were, as far as their character arcs are concerned, and just tell a very good ending? Because uh, we took all this time to get there. Why do they have to continue moving? Yeah. Uh, there were. I didn't really have a problem with the tactical sort of gaffes in the battle of Winterfell. It was fine. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some stuff I was like, Oh, that's kind of dumb, but it, ultimately it was fine. It's a TV show, but I just, there's just one unforgivable scene in this last episode. And this is where the big spoilers coming in is when they get ambushed by the boats. And apparently these two dragons are blind. Apparently, uh, they can't see an entire fleet of ships until they're close enough to be shot by them. Apparently, they have no spies. And apparently, our queen, Daenerys, is so dumb that she can't figure out that you can just fly your dragon around the boats and burn them all from behind. Like, that really, really infuriated me. Yeah. It's huge plot holes now, which just this show never used to have before. Um, on the subject of the Starbucks cut, by the way, I hear that HBO have now edited it out digitally. So if you yeah. now watch the show on HBO Go or on demand, you'll no longer have that. I didn't notice the cup when I watched it, even though I knew it was there. And I don't I can't tell maybe I watched the re-edited version or not. I'm not really sure. Um, I think it's hilarious. It wouldn't have bothered me if that was the only thing in the episode. Uh, just like many of the complaints people had with the episode, none of them on their own really would have bothered me but together it is very i just i i'm trying not to be like a total jerk about this but it really was bad yeah yeah well like you i haven't really watched anything other than game of thrones i've been playing alien isolation on the xbox and when i'm done with that i'm going to start working Wait. my way through the arkham trilogy on your recommendation okay. yeah so the arkham trilogy is is fantastic it's really really good and um what's great about that is they only get better as they go. So um, kind of like Red Dead, as you know, you went backwards in Red Dead. It was probably like a bit of a step down yeah. uh, to go backwards. So if you go in the right order, uh, wait, what happened with you and Barry? Are you still watching Barry? Um, yeah, but it's on week to week, right? So I've only seen the first four episodes. Okay. So you've been watching season two of Barry. I yes. haven't yet, but that was part of the reason I got my VPN because I want to try to catch up on Barry and, uh, and Veep. I'd actually forgotten about Barry, so I mean, I need to make a note and pick that up again because whilst we were out in Monte Carlo, I didn't get a chance to see it. Uh, and talking of Monte Carlo, shall we recap our trip to the Riviera, Joseph? I'll allow it. Event recap. Event recap.
And the first thing to say is that for the first time in a long time, we had a lot of people asking for the name of a piece of music. This was the track that we used to close out the broadcast every single day. And the following day, Twitch chat, Twitter, people even emailing the help desk at PokerStars Live wanted to know. A guy wrote to me at Facebook and I told him to get in touch with you. I, I guess he did. Uh, I don't know whether he did, but many other people did. So once and for all, it is called Follow Your Dream. And like all the music we use on the podcast, our live streams and our TV shows, it's available from Audio Network. Um, so Joe, you want to do something a little bit different here. You want to go in reverse order. You want to start at the end and work backwards? Yeah, because I don't want to, uh, you know, I l I'd like to talk to our guest near the end of our discussion and she didn't quite make it to the final table. So let's start at the end. Okay, well, at the very end, on my journey home, I saw Luis Medina in Pret-a-Manger at Nice Airport with his friends celebrating his sixth place finish. He was more than happy with that result, bearing in mind he came into the final table as the short stack. And I said to him, have you any idea what happened after you departed? Yeah. Do you realize what you missed out on, that they played five-handed for nine hours? And he said he hadn't seen any of it yet, and he was really looking forward to going home and watching the stream. Big fan of our work, really looking forward uh, to seeing it as a spectator rather than as a player. Funky Cold Medina. I got to tell you, James, if I went out of a tournament in sixth place, I don't know that I would ever watch the rest of it. Do you think you'd be able to? Yeah, I think you'd be interested to know how it finished. Bear in mind, you've played a lot against those guys over the last three or four days. You've come to know them. You'd want to see who finished where and how it all played out in the end. Uh, that, would be, that would be a tough pill for me to swallow. I don't know. Um, anyway, in the early hours of Sunday morning, it was Manig Lurza, who has been an EPT reg for several years, for many seasons, and a deserving champion, for sure. Uh, yeah was 10th on the German all-time money list. Not sure if this result moves him forward anymore, but that's the weird thing. An accomplished pro with $10 million in live earnings, but so hard to crack that top 10 because as we've referenced time and time again, Germany just has so many good players who have dominated the high roller circuit for so long that getting into that top 10 is not easy. It's like being one of the top 10 fattest people in America. Like that's just going to be impossible to get in there like that's quite an elite group so finally he gets a big result on the EPT lifts the trophy but he misses out on that winning moment where he gets to speak to the bearded menace that is Joe Stapleton okay now I don't think Manic necessarily missed out but I did I I genuinely was I don't want to say gutted but I was disappointed to not be the guy to hand him that trophy um, you know, Manning's been around forever. Him and all his pals are, are some of the big poker elite. I ended up, even though, so you guys were super cool to me. It's the first time this has ever happened, by the way, yeah. at least in my tenure on the tour. I had to leave the commentary before it was over because I had a flight to catch. I felt incredibly guilty about it. I wanted to stay longer. Thank you, James, for just making the executive decision and saying, look, we're on a break now. Just get out of here. Go pack. It turned out it took me almost no time at all to pack. And I was able to just, I kind of was just sitting in my hotel room waiting for my car to show up. And so I got to watch the end of the tournament from my hotel room, which means I would have had the time to do it because obviously I was seeing it 30 minutes after it happened. Uh, it was so funny that we rushed me out of there to get back to my room and pack to get in my car. I get to the airport. Who's in front of me in line? Manning Lurzer. <laughs> He did he say, actually, he did say he, as soon as he'd won, I've got a flight to catch now. 
Yeah, we were all on the same flights. Like uh, Manning ended up going to Cyprus. A bunch of people were going to Cyprus. A bunch of people were going to Montenegro. And so I'm in line with Ryan Akempa, Manning Lurzer, Ike Haxton, the Greenwood brothers, Tim Adams. We're all like zombies uh, standing in line. Uh, for And most of, most of those guys ended up getting on the same flight as me. I was able to go up to him at the airport and say, hey, man, I just want, you know, it really was disappointing for me to not be the one to give you the trophy. You're so deserving. Uh, congratulations. And it was a weird, awkward moment because a bunch of people watched me say this, Tim. But it was important to me to be able to say that. And I, I genuinely, I apologize to both my coworkers and uh, and to folks out there for not being there for the end. And uh, I, I guess we can't plan flights that early anymore. No, and... The irony is we've not had one of these in a long time. The last final table that really went the distance was in Malta back in the spring of 2015. I think we've run really good with our final tables recently in terms of... We haven't run bad, at least. No, and so it used to be we had that period where these 14 to 15 hour final tables became the norm and we did certain things to fix that playing more levels on previous days playing down to six instead of down to eight and so <laughs> this has now become this is not the norm this is now an anomaly and that's right. that's a good thing but yeah you never know how a final table is going to play out and clearly the nine hours of five-handed play dictated how this one uh, eventually eventually finished luckily even though you had to depart, Joe, we did have those remote commentators. Right. We had Finton in Malta, Spraggy back in the UK, Nick Walsh making his debut on the stream in Brighton. And bear in mind, Nick was only meant to be with us for one level on the final table day. And bless him, he said, look, I've got nothing else to do. I'm going to stick with you guys. And he did the next two levels afterwards. And the fact that I had someone to talk to, someone there to provide the right. color and the analysis made it easier, I guess, for you to dash out as well. Yeah, well, thank God for Nick and his brand new Poker Stars contract, which means uh, we can work him pretty hard right in the beginning when he's all uh, fresh and bright-eyed. Uh, the other thing, of course, which dictated the late finish or early finish, depending on how you're looking at it, was the deal. And the fact that the negotiations and calculations <laughs> the took the better part of an hour um, which was pretty yep. brutal. And again, whenever a deal is done, it causes controversy and Look, I make no secret of the fact that I hate deals in poker. But do you know the other thing I hate? Ridiculous payout structures in poker. And for as long as you're going to have that carrot, that uh, kind of trophy at the end of the rainbow, that huge score for the winner, you're always inevitably going to create a situation where deals get done, especially when the blinds catch up with the players and no one's got more than a 35 big blind stack. Um, And yeah, it could have been smoother. It could have been easier. But crucially, I think it was a wise thing the players did. Uh, it was certainly to the beneficiary of Katzenberger, who finished third. And Manic Lurza still walks away with the better part of 600K. And, Look, the, and, the, and the moral of that story is that the two people have benefited could have very easily been Manic Lurza instead. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. why they make those deals. I, I don't mind the deals uh, at all. I think that. When everyone is so ICM conscious uh, that they don't want to make any mistakes and everyone plays super tight and no one really plays for the win, that what you're going to end up having a lot of the time is exactly this, that everyone's 20 big blinds deep and you're three-handed and then it's just a complete shit show. And so uh, a deal makes perfect sense. I do think that you know how poker like evolves and stuff and sometimes I'll have like a like a, a theory or a strategy that sort of is laughable and nobody goes along with and then 
later on things evolve and they sort of come around. I do think people will eventually come around to realizing that this ICM optimal play actually hurts you uh, for the win a lot of the time. And I think we might see people more and more start playing for the win a little bit harder when, when we see all these tournaments just get super, super shallow and, and get shovy by the end. Yeah, for sure. So we've referenced the nine hours of five-handed play so many times. And during that nine hours, even though it was a slog at the time, <laughs> there were so many ridiculous moments, so many epic moments, hands that you will see on social media again and again and again, including Ryan Reese calling with 10 high, calling, by the way, for his main event life. He calls all in and he is right. Um, some people saying it's the best call they've ever seen, Joe. Yeah, it's rare that I am uh, jealous of things that go on during these main events and during our broadcasts that I wasn't in the booth for. I was not in the booth for this, um, and I really wish I had been because it is iconic hand. The fact that it involves a main event winner, uh, World Series of Poker main event winner, makes it even better. Uh, I did read on Twitter some of the discussions of the hands. It was pretty funny. Like Matt Berkey weighed in to say like, but if he was wrong, people would have crucified him. And I don't know if you remember, but like Matt Burke, he made like a big fold of a full house. Yeah, PCA. Uh, and, uh, and caught a lot of shit for it. So I can't tell if he was being more critical of the call or more critical of the way people sort of play results in those situations. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm happy to play results when it when it uh, ends in such an entertaining hand. And I agree. Like, man, what a call. What a, what a great spot. Uh, on the previous day, um, when we played down to the final six, and to be honest with you, I didn't think we were going to get there. I thought we were going to end the sixth level of day four with seven or eight players. But somehow, yeah. with like 40 minutes left to play on the final level of the day, we got down to six. But our focus for most of that day had been on two other players who sadly didn't make it to the final table. Uh, Melika Razavi, who at one point took the chip lead, but then had that ridiculous cooler against Wei Huang, which was the flush against flush. She did have the redraw to the straight flush, didn't get there, and she was eliminated relatively early on. Um, but from what we saw of her, and she spent some time at the feature table, and we saw some of her hands from the outer table, she's got game. Uh, she was kind of a boss uh, for someone that we haven't seen too much of on tour. <laughs> I mentioned this on the stream. I'll, I'll repeat it now in case you guys didn't hear it. I've been Facebook friends with her for years and she's actually so pretty that I thought she was one of those fake profiles <laughs> but she's actually so pretty that I didn't want to delete her either that I was like well just in case she's a real person I'm going to keep this and it turns out she is a real person she is a poker fan and a poker player and uh, I don't know how to say this in a not sexist way but she played she had balls like she like and I don't think we should necessarily attribute this sort of courage just to men anymore but that's how we would word it. I mean, she really was fearless out there, um, played with with little fear, with that sort of healthy disregard for chips and money that you really need to be uh, a top poker player. And she was incredibly impressive. I hope we see more from her in the future. And the other player we were following on the penultimate day was one of our online qualifiers. And we love a good online qualifier story, obviously. We love the whole kind of coming from nowhere, amateur binks a big score. And the player we had on our feature table at the start of day four was Evie Woodvik-Kvilhaug from Norway. And it was, as you referenced at the top of the show, Joe, 
one of the most ridiculous starts to a day of poker we have ever witnessed. And I'm pleased to say we can talk about it with the woman herself. Please welcome Evie to the Poker in the Ears podcast. Hello. Hello. Have you come down to earth yet? Uh, starting to, yes. <laughs> what was it like coming home? Did you have like a bunch of friends and family that you all had? A, did you have like a welcoming party? What, what happened? I want to know about like the fun stuff afterward. I uh, haven't had a welcome party or something, no. Um, I've had, uh, my friends have been real supportive and uh, said that they've been real proud of me and stuff. But, uh, Has anyone tried to borrow money from you yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> Evie, we have to start by talking about the start to day four. We have to talk about those three hands. And the irony is, I think your face during those three hands told a better story than the cards themselves because it was a combination of disbelief, shock, utter stress, (laughs) and sheer delight and relief all at once. Yeah, it was so much going on there. I was, uh, it was so crazy. I didn't understand what was happening. And uh, (laughs) because you came into day four, I think as a below average stack, you had about like 30 big blinds. So the very first hand you pick up jacks when someone else has tens and guess what? Jacks held, which they never normally do for people. But in your case, they did. Yeah. It would. What was uh, going on in my mind was, Oh no, I'm all in the first hand. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, when they held up, I was, relieved and was thinking that okay now i can relax a bit well i give you a lot of credit for for being all in the first hand i i know that in if i were in your shoes i would have strongly considered uh folding and being a laughing stock uh because i just wouldn't want to be in the first hand and just thought i would have thought it was like unlucky or something how close did you come to folding or was that never a consideration um, I did uh, think about it, actually. I was thinking that maybe I should fold because of the race first and then the push all in. Um, I was thinking that maybe I can fold, but I had such a short stack, so I was just, yeah, I just had to go for it. So, so Jack's hold against tens, and then on the very next hand, you pick up aces, and someone gets it in with king ten. I mean, happy days. Yeah, but I, I was. It was an easier call, of course. <laughs> yes, funnily enough. Um, and but it, it felt unreal, and I was thinking, are someone joking with me? Is what is happening? <laughs> yeah, someone stacked the deck because then we get to hand number three, and just to be clear, we're talking about three consecutive hands here. The first three hands of the day, you get jacks again this time against queen jack am i right in thinking there was a bit of a sweat at one point i think the board got a bit straighty yeah it did but i was thinking i wasn't thinking actually <laughs> i was uh, i was such a there was such a shock that uh, so many emotions going through me that i i don't remember much of it actually <laughs> so jack's beat tens aces beat king 10 jack's beat queen jack three hands, three KOs, because three players were eliminated in those three hands, and you then were, I think, second in chips to the table with close to 1.9 million. I mean, and that was in the first 10 minutes of the day. Yeah, too much stress for me. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't get down afterwards. I uh, 
my mind didn't yeah it was so much chaos in my mind that I, I i don't think i would think straight for half an hour after that <laughs> well a half an hour is not that bad when you consider uh how well structured the events are what was there ever a point where after those three hands you thought to yourself okay i have a lot of chips now I'm going to start to act like a boss or did you just continue to play your, your normal game? I just had to uh, continue to play my normal game because there were so many good players um, around the table and I knew that it would be easier for me to try and take down pots preflop because they can outplay me. So uh, I, I had to just try to stay to my game. Were there situations where you felt like you got outplayed? Yeah, I think I made probably some bad calls. Um, people are, have been saying to me afterwards that they think that I played well and that I should call in the situations that I did. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't have the best memory for stuff like this. Obviously, James will tell you it's a thing on the show. I never remember anything. I don't remember any situations though where you made calls that I thought you were playing too loose. I thought that every situation, and James, you can uh, back me up on this, I think I think that I remember just a long series of hands that kind of played out like the first series of hands where you were in situations where you kind of had to play and kind of had a call and then ended up getting out flopped or being beaten and just sort of, uh, you know, folding a lot of pots after that. But I, I don't, I remember all those situations being kind of standard, but just frustrating. Is Is, is that what you remember? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of felt like I played bad when it happened, uh, when I was sitting there, but uh, probably because I lost a lot of chips in those hands. But uh, Have you gone back and watched? Yeah, but I did. But I got hung up in all of the comments. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't, I, I just had to stop watching it, gosh. Evie, yeah. I want you to send me the names of all the people that wrote me in comments because I have a lot of experience with this and I will set them straight. <laughs> he genuinely will. If there's one thing Joe will always take time out of his day for, it's challenging people on social media platforms. I will crush dissent on the internet. <laughs> Absolutely. Overall, how was the experience of playing the Monte Carlo main event? Because I think you said this is the biggest event that you've ever played. Yeah, it's it's huge compared to anything else so it was real fun and it was um i got a lot of experience out of it i learned a lot i mean I, did, did you come I, into it like many other people would in your situation being a poker fan just like wow i i get to see all these guys that i've i've watched on streams or i've seen on tv did you get to meet or play against any of your heroes yeah i'm a big fan of uh, greenwood and i've watched watched a lot of his uh videos so i was real starstruck whenever i was playing against him that's cool <laughs> yeah and uh, i get to play against uh ole shemian at one time I also think cool was he charming or was he in his sort of uh like quiet mode i was in his quiet mode it was day one i think so and i played against um Geilek, ludwig Geilek. yes yeah, I like him too. So, yeah. Ludovic Gilek is the kind of guy that I would love to hang out with. Definitely would not want to play poker against him. Though. Was <laughs> he? Was he his usual aggro self at the table? 
yes, <laughs> he was. I, uh, I tried to st- steer clear uh, playing against him too. <laughs> I mean, I think that's smart. Like, you know, a lot of people will play these events and then will find themselves in situations uh, with players that they uh, get into get into pots with them and then get outplayed by them. And you were just smart enough to say, I'm just going to avoid these people. Yeah, I had to. I knew that they could outplay me. So <laughs> I know what level I'm on. <laughs> So what's your story, Evie? What what do you do when you're not playing poker? Uh, I'm unemployed right now, so so I. Oh, just... that's a that's a poker success story. So you got a little <laughs> breathing room now with your with your cash and Monte Carlo. Yeah, I do, and uh, my bo- boyfriend is uh, is a poker player, so he is coaching me now. So uh, maybe I'll be able to go pro someday. I I read an article about you where your boyfriend or you said actually that uh, your boyfriend is is the poker player in the family was was he jealous that you won this package and that you got to have this experience a little bit yes but um, he has uh, actually played uh, in Monte Carlo before uh, three times I think but it's it's a long time ago I think it was in two thousand and ten nine or ten or something. That would be my story too. I'd be like, "Yeah, well, you know, I, I played a Monte Carlo before. It's <laughs> fine. You can go ahead, have a good time." Oh wait, did you make day four? Shit! <laughs> yeah, he was. He was really nervous on my behalf, and uh, yeah, he was. It was good having him there. And each break, he calmed me down and uh, uh, tried to set up strategy for next level and stuff. So. What was the best piece of advice that he gave you that you can remember? Uh, he always uh, tried to reset me and said that, yeah, now we're starting from the start. And think of it, think of it that we are starting a new tournament. So I went in on each level thinking that it was kind of a new tournament. So I resetted what happened and just started over, kind of. I- I like that advice. I think that that's smart. I think that can sort of take some of the pressure off of you. If you look at this tournament as this, you know, roller coaster ride of, oh my God, I made it this far. How much further am I going to make it? If you just start over and be like, no, I've only made it this little distance. I think that can help you mentally. Uh, if, if you were, if we were able to get your CV out to possible jobs, what sorts of uh, industry would you want to work in? What did you do before? Uh, before I worked in kindergarten. Uh, You're a kindergarten teacher? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's fucking perfect. <laughs> There's not a huge difference in the maturity level between kindergartners <laughs> and most poker players. <laughs> uh, that is true, actually. <laughs> so was it this current relationship that introduced you to poker, Evie, or were you playing before that? No, I was playing before that. I have been been playing for a year, I think. When I met him at first, I met him at our local poker club or something. So how did you discover the game? How did you get into poker to start with? Uh, I've always liked playing games from when I was little. And I've been fascinated about poker for a long time. Uh, especially after I saw this movie, uh, Maverick. Have you seen it? I actually really love Maverick. We reviewed yeah. Maverick on the show, and uh, I remember at the time really loving Maverick. Yeah, so I've been fascinated uh, about poker since I was child, and 
I started playing a little bit online, just small stakes. And, and then uh, at, when I was, uh, I think I was 31 or something, I got invited to a home game with some guys, uh, some friends. And after that, it just got more and more and, yeah, started playing more online and more live. So I'm kind of jealous of Evie's boyfriend who, you know, there aren't a lot of girls that show up to poker games and somehow he managed to land the tall blonde that showed up as his. Uh, how did, how did he, how did that happen? Uh, well, we were friends for a long time first, um, actually. (laughs) Oh, friends first. I've been told that's how you're supposed to do it. I've never had the patience for that. So which events have you played before, Evie? Because I think this was not your first EPT, right? Uh, it was my first EPT, but I've played uh, Unibet Open in Malta. Uh, and I played Coolbet Open in Tallinn. And I went to Zagreb to play an event there. And then I've played a lot of the Norwegian Championships. Is that the Norwegian yeah. Championships in Dublin? Yeah, uh, both in Dublin, and we have uh, had some in Oslo, too, now, for a couple of years. Four years, I think. I've heard those are super fun. Yeah, it's that they are fun. <laughs> so having now played an EPT and having cashed an EPT, what's your next objective? What's the, what's the next mission? I don't know yet, actually. Uh, as I said, I've just landed from this experience, so... We haven't gotten around to planning what's what. Let her take the victory lap, for Christ's sake, James. (laughs) Well, let's see if we can make it two victories in one week. Joe, what ridiculously stupid, dumb game have you cocked up for Evie? All right. This stupid game this week is called Positive Evie. I don't know if you heard me call you that on the uh, on the stream. It's a it's a pretty easy connection to make, obviously, in the poker world. And uh, it's just a. It's just a bunch of dumb trivia trivia questions based on uh, some puns, positive and EV. Are you ready? I hope so. (laughs) I don't know. Please, this has got to be less stressful than calling three all-ins in a row at the feature (laughs) table, okay? So just uh, don't don't worry it so much here. Question number one, what – and remember, the multiple-choice questions. What is the most common blood type in the world? Is it AB negative, O negative, B negative – or O positive. James, reminder the name of the game. The name of the game is Positive EV. Yeah, so it's O positive then? O positive is correct. You're on the board one for one. Question number two. Which of the following particles carries a positive charge? Is it a proton particle, a neutron particle, an electron particle, or a dust particle? Uh, I'll go for proton. Proton is correct. You are two for two. Question number three. Which of the following is considered to be an EV? Is it the Toyota Yaris, the Nissan Micra, the Nissan Leaf, or the Volkswagen Golf? Oh, a car question. Oh, no. I can help. Car I can question. help. Yeah, I can help. I can you're gonna help. Ha- you're going to Hector a Hardigan? Yeah, I need that. 
Well, interestingly, there is an electric version of the Volkswagen Golf, but the Nissan Leaf is exclusively an EV. It is an electric vehicle. That is correct. Nissan Leaf is an EV. Three for three. Question four. What is the subtitle of Phil Hellmuth's book, Hashtag Positivity? Is it the art of looking up when you're feeling down? Is it negative plus negative equals negative? Is it you are always in the right place at the right time? Or is it if it weren't for luck, you'd be right where you're at? I have no idea, and any one of these could be the real answer. <laughs> I'll go for the first one. The first one, the art of looking up when you're feeling down? Yeah. Okay. That isn't correct, but I was particularly <laughs> proud of that one. I really think that I should write a book called The Art of Looking Up When You're Feeling Down. Is actually, you are always in the right place at the right time. Oh. I was also pretty proud of if it weren't for luck, you'd be right where you're at. Okay, question... Question number five, still on the subject of books. In the novel and later Sundance Jury Prize nominated film called A Slipping Down Life, the story's protagonist, Evie Decker, carves her crush's name into what part of her body? I'm confident that you Googled this. There is no way you've read this book or seen this film. I read A Slipping Down Life. I've never seen the movie. Okay. <laughs> I read it in high school. Uh, did she carve her crush's name who's by the way his, his name is Drumstrings Casey uh, was it into her forehead her thigh her ankle or her forearm uh, I'll go for forearm are you for what arm her forehead is correct yes question <laughs> number six still on books back to poker books the title of James McManus's true crime slash poker opus based on his adventures covering the murder trial of Benny Binion and making the final table of the 1998... Well, it's 1999, I think. Doesn't matter. Uh, World uh, Series uh, of Poker. Dear, dear Poker Stars, Joe Stapleton incorrectly said that James McManus made the final table of the 1998 World <laughs> Series. It was, in fact, the 2000 World Series 2000, won by Chris Jesus Ferguson. Okay, here we go. One more, starting over. Yeah. The title of James McManus's true crime slash poker opus based on his adventures covering the murder trial of Benny Binion and making the final table of the 2000 World Series of Poker was called Positively Fifth Street plus EV minus murder. The WSO Positively Hung Jury <laughs> or Kill Pot, the positive, the positive EV poker killer. I really wish it was the third one. It's just too good. Uh, plus EV minus murder? Plus EV minus murder is incorrect. It was Positively Fifth Street. But I'll tell you what. If Positively Fifth Street ever is adapted into a movie, they should rebrand it Plus EV minus murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> question number seven, your final question. Which professional poker player dated Lex Veldhaus for a number of years when he first burst onto the live poker scene? Was it Evie McGee, Evie Levy, Evie TV, or Evie Ng? Oh, my God. Uh, the first one? Evie McGee is incorrect. It was Evie Ng. Evelyn Ng was Lex Veldhaus's first 
uh, girlfriend on the poker scene. However, you did get more than half the questions right, and you dealt with my game quite well. You're a winner in my book. Evie, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been Congratulations. Fun, actually. <laughs> yeah. Good luck in the future. We're, we're, we'll be looking out for you. Thanks. Poker in the ears. Our thanks once again to Evie. Before we move on to this week's Superfan Joe, just a few other things I want to yeah. mention about Monte Carlo before we finish our recap. The party, the day that we arrived, um, I think it was the Monday, the 29th, and there was this great party outside in the gardens, and it was awesome. I just wish it had been a little bit warmer. Yeah, it was pretty cold. You know, it, it's it's kind of like our situation in the Bahamas where you never know what you're going to get that time of year. It could be uh, spring has sprung and it's beautiful, perfect weather. And unfortunately, we got there sort of right at the in-between time. I think it was probably maybe one of the last cold nights of the season. I don't remember it being that cold any of the other nights. Um so we all sort of huddled together around some of the gas lamps and stuff like that. And I do think that once people got drunk, they warmed up a little bit. And also uh, there was dancing. There was a lot of dancing going on. So that that made things happen. But, hey, man, I had forgotten what it's like to be able to go to the parties. I'm glad that they had it on the first day because otherwise we wouldn't have gotten to get to go. And, I look, I got my fill of free fruit and drink and uh, and went to bed with a plenty of acid reflux in my throat as usual. And the following night, uh, we got to have dinner with Maria at the Monte Carlo Bay, Maria Ho. And there was this wonderful moment when Nikki Petrangelo and Tim Adams were sitting down to dinner at the table opposite. And Joe was trying to wave to Tim Adams, who clearly just had not caught his line of sight and was blanking him. But Joe just would not give up waving at Tim Adams to the point where some random dude who had walked into the restaurant thought Joe was waving at him and then came over to try and talk to us. <laughs> I, I was doing this bit where I was like, oh, Tim didn't see me, but I'm just going to keep waving at him because it's hilarious till he looks up again. And unfortunately, this guy had been standing behind Tim the whole time and he came over. And I don't even think he spoke English. And I was like, oh, no, uh, not not you. I'm just awkward. Sorry. And he just like sadly shuffled away. You know, we should have asked him to join us. That would have been the baller thing to do. And uh, last but by no means least, great to see Victoria Corrin-Mitchell back on the EPT. Vicky doesn't play a ton of poker these days, but generally, wherever possible, makes it to Monte Carlo. This is like the one event that she always comes to. And had a very brief chat with Vicky. I think it was on day two of the main event uh, when she was still in. Sadly, she busted just before the money. The three-peat was never really on the agenda. She never had a big stack uh, on day two. But we had a very brief chat about Mary Poppins' returns. Because Vicky, I don't know oh. you know, but she's an authority on P.L. Travers. She actually made a documentary for the BBC right. about Mary Poppins and about the movie Saving Mr. Banks. And I just had to get her opinion on it. I'm pleased to say that Vicky shares my thoughts. It's a travesty of a film. It's absolutely awful. And I can't believe that with that talent involved, because I love Emily Blunt, and clearly uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is a very talented dude. I can't believe that it wasn't a better film. But it's, it's, it's awful. And I'm pleased to say that Vicky shares my opinion. Look, dude, like Disney is like the ultimate evil corporation, right? They're just like a mega conglomerate. And it would be despite there being incredibly talented people involved, like think of it this way, right? Like no matter how talented a chef works at McDonald's, he's still cranking out burgers for like the super corporation. And there's a certain ceiling uh, to how good, you know, of course, you can still get a good thing here and there. But the, 
it's mass produced. You know what I mean? Like it's just a, a big machine making it. You say that, but there are fundamental flaws with the approach to this, which led to it being a carbon it's, copy of the it, original. But is this, it's supposed to be a sequel, though, right? It's meant to be a sequel, but it's a, a thinly veiled remake in many ways. It's a very similar plot. Every single set piece and scene is a direct copy of the original, only worse. Every song is a new equivalent of an older song. It's I can't tell you how disappointed I was with this. Mm, I never, I've never seen either version. Uh, well, hey, maybe someone will suggest it as a superfan subject one day. Actually, I lie. There is one final, final thing I want to mention before we move on. Yeah. Uh, we ran the EPT online during Monte Carlo, and there's no reason to suspect that we won't do the same during Barcelona. The idea of having this small buy-in online event that you can play no, alongside the stream. No, I got bad stream. beat. I won't allow it. Uh, but I'm interested in hearing feedback. We had added value to the prize pool we had this shower of satellite tickets on the first day um i do think that probably those satellite tickets should have been awarded deeper into the event to try and uh, give more people an opportunity How were to win they it. awarded just at random just at random during the first couple of levels and ideally i think you wanted to see them awarded probably on day two when registration is closed because clearly people are still buying in throughout day one they're buying in at the start of day two but they've missed out on that added value but here is my question and i'm interested in feedback so hashtag poker in the ears on twitter if you want to offer your thoughts on this would you prefer EPT satellite tickets giving more people the chance to win smaller prizes or should we have that big carrot at the end should we be awarding perhaps an EPT package for the winner what would you rather see us juice the prize pool with a mega prize for the champ or smaller prizes for more players does my opinion matter at all I'll take it I I like a flatter payout structure in general I think that uh, whoever, like, if you're saying give away like a big scoop ticket to the winner, versus no, a I'm bunch saying of... giving an EPT package. I'm saying send the winner of the EPT online to an EPT. And all I would say, oh. Joe, in defense of this argument, is that's exactly what we did with our platinum pass free rolls. Is we gave the winner a huge prize. Yes, sorry. If it is to send them to an EPT, then yes, I I, I like that idea. I, I thought you were talking about maybe like a scoop main event ticket or something like that. No, sending someone to an EPT, I love that idea. Awesome segue alert. One of them loves the EPT, knows it inside out, and would do anything for the European Poker Tour. The other one is Joe Stapleton. It's Superfan versus Stapes. So time to say hello to this week's super fan. We welcome to Poker in the Ears, Stefan Niskakis. Welcome, Stefan. Yeah, hello, guys. What's up, Stefan? Where are you calling us from? I'm calling from uh, Germany, little city, Bonn. That's the uh, former capital of Germany, actually. But it's a quite sleepy little city. (laughs) What did you guys do to lose your capital status? Uh, We reunited with uh, East Germany. We lost the wall. (laughs) I've heard of that. I remember yeah. when that happened. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm quite old, actually. <laughs> the old West Germany, East Germany divide no more. Um, Stefan, the question we always ask at this point is, what is your deal, bro? We want to know all about you. Well, I'm, um, I'm married. I have two children. I uh, work in IT. I think you hear that a lot. <laughs> But I, <laughs> is this a bit? Because normally that's followed by, hey, just kidding, guys, I don't. But you genuinely do work in IT. Yes, yes. I, I built software um, for a big logistics company and uh, mostly in, in customs topics. So super exciting stuff. But uh, actually, I don't know. It's when you're in doing it, it's, it's actually quite fun. Yeah. I bet the paycheck's quite fun. 
Uh, yeah, and steady. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to, you know, <laughs> go around begging people. You know, will tell poker jokes for food. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's what always stopped my big poker career is that uh, <laughs> I didn't want to lose the nice paycheck. Uh, did you? So did you at one point consider having a big poker career? Yeah, I considered probably. I I don't know. I think everybody who plays poker dreams about it, or like most everybody. But uh, I am like I'm extremely untalented, so ah. <laughs> I'm I'm probably worse than uh, everybody on the line right now. Well, so. it sounds like we have a lot in common. I'm not at all talented either. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm trying since 2003, so it's not. <laughs> but I'm a pure recreational player. No, I never really uh, went for it, and it's also um, I don't really have any other friends that play poker. So I'm like uh, oh. only, only online guy. And in Germany, it's not so easy to find live games. Yeah, uh, I, I as was, in other countries. I was going to ask because the European Poker Tour has taken us to Berlin and back in the day to Dortmund, but in the Bonn area of Germany. I didn't really know whether there were any live venues, what the poker scene was like, but I guess you just answered that question. Yeah, well, I think you can go to like casinos, like uh, Aachen is probably relatively close, but uh, I play from time to time with friends or yeah, colleagues from work, but it's so rarely, it's like, I don't know, every six months or so, so almost never. <laughs> so mostly I'm on online and actually mostly on PokerStars, which is quite funny, so... <laughs> well, that's a good thing, play on PokerStars, yeah. because we're going to give you the chance to win an EPT Open Madrid satellite ticket in this quiz centered around the movie The Breakfast Club, which you yourself admitted you haven't seen for some time. Yeah, yeah. I, Same. I, I, Same I, I, I rewatched it on Monday okay. with my wife and for the first time in English. So uh, it was quite interesting. I think I didn't see it for 25 years, but I've seen it back then when I was a teenager. I think I saw it, I don't know, 20, 30 times on VHS. So a lot of times. Uh, I don't like my chances here. I've seen the movie one time, and it was about uh, four or five years ago when I was living in England. I, I will say about the movie, though, I kind of got it. Like I was like, you know what? I get why this movie was a phenomenon. I get why it speaks to people. I wonder if it still resonates with people now, I feel like I feel like it would. Like I feel like the themes and the and and the you know, sort of the, the feelings in it are kind of timeless. Did you feel like it held up when you rewatched it? Um yeah, it was better than I thought, actually. I, I was worried that, you know, when you go back to rewatch some stuff yeah. and then it's very it was okay it wasn't it didn't catch me as because back then I, I identified strongly with the with Brian with the with the nerd guy and so it you know I, I had like my I don't know counterpart in the movie and uh, was like in in inside the movie I don't know how to say that so back then it was obviously much stronger but I still enjoyed it and there were a few scenes that were actually still quite funny I'm afraid I've never been a fan of The Breakfast Club and I don't think it's necessarily held up that well uh, Patrick also not a huge fan but he has uh -oh. put together 10 multiple choice questions Stefan you know the format you know how it works let's try and win you that EPT Open Madrid satellite ticket please give me a number between 1 and 10 Yeah, always seven. I mean, you're German. You have to take number seven. Um, <laughs> Andrew competes in which sport at school? Wrestling. Wrestling for two points. Uh, Joe, which number would you like? Uh, number one, please. Number one. 
Where does John Bender lead Mr. Vernon so that the others can get back to detention? I think I know, but I'm going to take the choices, please. Is it the library, the cafeteria, the gymnasium, or the janitor's cupboard? The janitor's cupboard. No, it was the gymnasium. Uh... Stefan, second question. One and seven have both gone. Five, please. Question number five. Which state does the film take place in? Um, uh, Illinois. Illinois for two points. Ah, oh, man, I would have known that one. Yeah, yeah. All John Hughes movies take place in Illinois. And that's really, I think, one of the reasons why I'm not a fan of The Breakfast Club. And I know that's a sacrilege <laughs> to so many people. I think John Hughes films are massively overrated. I've never been a fan of John Hughes as a filmmaker. You don't like that universe? No, I don't, I'm afraid. What about Home Alone? It, meh. What? Sorry, right, next, I haven't next. watched a single Home Alone yet. Next so question. Maybe... <laughs> uh, Joe, it's your question. Question nine. Question number nine. What does Carl the janitor catch Mr. Vernon doing? Ooh, uh... <laughs> Uh, I'll take the choices. Okay, is Mr. Vernon threatening Bender, locking Bender in the cupboard, reading confidential files, or using the girls' bathroom? Uh, he, he locks Bender in the cupboard. No, he's reading confidential files. Damn it! You're determined to put up an egg this week, for sure. Uh, Stefan, your third question. You can have two, three, four, six, eight, uh, or ten. Um, three, please. Number three, what is Brian's middle name? <laughs> it's Ralph. It is Ralph for two like points. Puke. <laughs> I remember that in the movie now. Yeah. Ralph. Joe, where would you like to go? Uh, is eight still available? It is. What does Claire bring in for lunch? I'll take the choices. Caviar, salad, a sandwich, or sushi? Sushi. It is sushi. You've scored a point. Well done. Uh, it is your penultimate question, Stefan. Two, I, four, six, or ten? I, I feel like scoring one is worse than zero somehow, so I gotta get it to at least two. Well, you've still got two more questions to come. Stefan, what right. number do you like? Um, two, please. Why did Brian say he had a fake ID? Uh, uh, to vote. To, to vote. vote, correct, for two points. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Joe, four, four, six, or ten? Well, let's go with ten. Okay, and who is the last character to be seen on screen? Judd Nelson. What's the name of his character? Oh, fuck. Uh, you just mentioned him now being locked in a cupboard. Uh, I don't remember. It starts with a B. Would you like the multiple choice options? Yes. Is it Brian, Bender, Brian. Andrew? Bender, Bender. You rescued that one for one point. Okay, Joe, there is a chance to score a bonus point here as well. Yes. The iconic fist in the air is referenced in which awesome 2012 musical comedy? Uh, 2012 musical comedy. Okay, it's not that. What musical comedies came out in 2012? What year is it now? It's 2019. Seven years ago is 2012. And it's a movie that James loves because he called it awesome. 
All right, just give me 10 seconds. Counting down. 2012. Five seconds. Ah, I don't know. Uh, do you want to try and steal for a point, Stefan? I, I have absolutely no idea. The answer was pitch perfect. <laughs> oh, pitch perfect. Okay. Okay, and it is the final round. Stefan, you can have four or you can have six. Four, please. How many detentions does Bender earn during the Eat My Shorts scene? Um, I mean, Brian counts seven, and it is actually seven, but but uh, uh, Vern gives him eight. Correct. Eight is the answer. Wow, good work. Yeah, Joe. That, I've watched that scene so many times. And counted, <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> Joe, there is the opportunity to earn three points here because you could not take the options and there's a bonus question. Question number six, which student burned their locker? Uh, it's the Ali Sheedy character, but I don't remember her name, so I need the choices. Is it Bender, Andrew, Allison, or Brian? Allison. It was Brian. And the bonus <laughs> question, what happened? Uh, um, he left oily rags in it. Stefan put him out of his misery. Uh, Brian brought a flare gun to school because he wanted to commit suicide. Correct. Oh, and wow. that earns you an extra point, which means the final score. It's <laughs> a decisive victory, by the way. 11 points to superfan Stefan. Two points to Joe Stapleton. Congratulations, Stefan. You have crushed and you have won some PokerStars merchandise and an EPT Open Madrid satellite ticket. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Stefan, wait a second. Awesome. Yeah. Hold on a second. You sure. have to do the fist pump on the honor <laughs> yeah, system. True. You have to do it. Three, two, one. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you forget about We've done it the rights. We've done it the rights. <laughs> Joe, you're costing us money. Jesus Christ. I'm now being sued by Simple Minds. Uh, Stefan, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and congratulations once again. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Nice work, buddy. All right, my babies, we're almost out of time for this week's show. Next time, I will finally be back in Los Angeles. No, you won't. Uh, that's true. I won't. I actually wrote this. Uh, so when I when I planned out this episode of the show, James, I was in the lounge at my layover after my 4 a.m. car ride and my 7 a.m. flight, and I somehow had lounge access. So despite the fact that I had been up for like, 23 hours and had done 14 hours of commentary i poured myself two giant glasses of prosecco and decided to write the outline for this week's podcast so i wrote i will finally be back in los angeles i'm planning the gavin smith memorial charity tournament in vegas and comedy show you're not gonna uh, have time that, for that, that nope not gonna have time for that this week i will also have gone to daniel negrano's wedding no you won't none of those things is true that is true. None can of I, can I, true. That do, will, do you want me to tell you where you'll be, Joe? You'll be still in Montenegro. That is correct. I will still be in Montenegro. And by then, it. I think you may have seen enough poker and be able to give us more of an overview of what's happening there. Okay, perfect. So we'll do like a I'll be almost done there. I'll be leaving the next day for Daniel's wedding. So uh, no idea what specifically we'll be talking about because I'll have covered another nine tournaments <laughs> at that point. 
But I do know that we're going to have Marley Cordero on the show. How's that for a weird flex, Brian Koppelman? Be interesting to get to speak to Marley. She will be next week's guest. And maybe some early headlines from Scoop. Because don't forget, everyone, Scoop oh, yeah. starts on Sunday the 12th. All right, guys, until then, subscribe, like, comment on the show, apply to be a super fan, send us ideas for guests using the hashtag poker in the ears. That's all for this week's show. For James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Smell you later.